0: I first met David Barton on a tour of the United States Capitol, maybe back in 2004. It was a special evening for us. In fact, future Congresswoman Michelle Bachmann was there, and my wife was there. We had an amazing tour. A dozen years later, I had a similar tour, but it, this time it was David's son, Tim. And I gotta tell you, maybe he did an even better job than his dad on the tour. It was fabulous. So I've known the family for a while. and. They help my wife with a painting that she's done of Jefferson on horseback riding in the Capitol, and I've seen David in and out of Glenbeck's studio a lot. He is really a historian to the conservative movement. He's the founder of Wall Builders, and Tim, his son, is president of Wall Builders. And what makes it so valuable, their studies, they have a deep knowledge of the founding of America. They know the founders through the archive of documents that they've assembled. And all of this destroys the critical lies that we're being faced with critical race theory, atheism, cultural Marxism. Wall builders is a weapon of truth that can help us win the culture and economic battles that are a part of an ongoing spiritual war for the soul of our nation. So I'm thrilled to have David and Tim Barton in the economic war room. Welcome. Kev, great to be with good you. To be Thanks for us. Well, now we try and take a bad, good, beautiful approach. You know, Clint Eastwood's the good, the bad, and the ugly. We, we talk about the problems But then we like to have solutions and then, you know, the beautiful is how amazing could our world be if we would return to the principles of the Bible or return to the principles of the Constitution or both. So let's talk about the troubling issues we see today. I know you recently spoke at our church. What are some of the things that you see in the popular culture that are that are
1: disconcerting? Well, for sure, you've got a fundamental transformation going on of the type of government and economic system that we've had for nearly four centuries. So, there's an effort through Marxism to move into the cultural aspects, as well as the economic aspects, as well as the governmental aspects. Um, Kind of the horse they're riding right now, the Trojan horse, if you will, is the 1619 Project, Critical Race Theory. Um, But all of that will result in a massive change not only of the way we do history, but the way we do government, the way we do education, the way we do economics. It, it, it's it's the Trojan horse for all of it. So what's behind the 1619 Project?
2: Well, I think it's interesting if you go back several decades, we can track back in the 1970s and 80s, the, the founding fathers, that they were identified as being people who didn't have good moral standing, right? That maybe they were adulterers. And then you can go forward to maybe the 1990s. And, and well, these men weren't Christians and they were atheists, agnostics, and deists. And then the early 2000s, well, they were all slave owners. And we've literally for decades we've seen attacks on the founding fathers and so the 1619 project is no different in the sense of it's trying to reshape a lot of the history and and part of the undermining underlying philosophy behind it as you identified with this cultural marxism coming in the idea is if if we want to change america from a constitutional republic if we're going to get away from the free market if we're going to do something different the first thing you have to do is you have to demonize Mm -hmm. the people who made america what america was And once you have demonized the founding of America, then you can tarnish every document we have because, well, these racist founding fathers did the declaration, so that must be racist and the constitution must be racist. And so you can target the very foundation of the nation and say, all of this is bad and evil, therefore get rid of it, which is largely what the 1619 Project tries to do. Saying that America's true founding was when we first had slaves in America, and, and even there, they missed so much history in their accusation against America. Well, show us
0: the truth. What, if, if 1619 is false, and I believe that it is, that's not the beginning of
1: America, what is the truth? Uh, let me just take a couple of dates to throw out, because the assertion, here's the New York Times Magazine, which really introduced the 1619 Project, which got the Pulitzer Prize, which is kind of a weird thing since a huge influence in the Pulitzer Prize, the New York Times, they kind of voted for themselves and gave themselves an award. But nonetheless, if you just take the 1619 premise, their premise is that 1619 is when slavery is introduced North America and thereafter, North America did everything it could to make sure that that was the identity of America through the founding everything slavery. Except 1619 is not when slavery was introduced. You can go back to 1526 and say, well, the Spanish brought slaves to North America and the Carolinas. 1560, we had slaves brought to St. Augustine area
2: down in Florida, so it's And we're not talking African slaves. African slaves, that's right, Right. African because slaves. If we're talking slaves big picture in general, long before Columbus even right. lands in America, you had natives enslaving other natives.
0: That's absolutely it, a fact. I'm Cherokee by background, and yes, that is absolutely a fact
1: The native peoples enslaved other native peoples and even some of their own. Well, right. uh, let me take that step further. In the 1860 census, jumping ahead from where Tim is, in the 1860 census, the largest percentage slave owner in America were Native American tribes. 12% of the five major Native American tribes, 12% of them were slaves. And when Andrew Jackson did the Trail of Tears and forced the Cherokees out of Georgia, Florida into the the five tribes region, those Cherokees uh, tribes brought their slaves with them. So slavery is not just what's portrayed, but back to your point. Well, and and
2: this is what I would say is that as we're pointing out some of the historic fact, like this isn't to disparage any people group or any time frame other than to recognize when people talk about the founding fathers had slavery or there's slavery in America in the 1600s. I would just like to know what nation in the 1600s didn't have slavery, right? And this is not to justify or defend slavery, but we're using this as the accusation to say America, right? The standard of we're using to say America's evil is slavery. And yet, if you use the same standard in every nation, every nation in the history of the world was a bad nation. And yet, what we're seeing unfold now from like critical race theory, from the 1619 Project is, it really follows along the lines of cultural Marxism, of, of Marxist critical theory. Right, which I know you guys have unfolded many times in your conversations on the show before, but in critical theory where you have oppressed people groups. And, and to be oppressed, there needs to be an oppressor. And really, you need to inform the people that they are oppressed because they might not even know they're oppressed. You have to teach them that they're oppressed and teach them what the oppressor is. And they tried it with economic theory early on in America. And that didn't take, because in America, there's too many people. Upward mobility. There's too many people born in poverty that have made an amazing life for themselves. and, And we have too big of a middle class. So that theory didn't stick. So they said, we need to find a new take on critical theory. And so they begin trying different ways to apply it. But critical race theory is the one that stuck the best because they've been able to paint this picture that people are victims and they've been victimized and abused. And there's no doubt in the history of America, there definitely were times like the Trail of Tears. There were times when you had American leaders doing awful things that that things that certainly were not what, democrat
0: andrew jackson is not very popular with my family <laughs> yes, for sure for sure well for sure. And, and even i mean a little it shouldn't ton- be
2: right even a little tongue in cheek right if we're going to talk about some of these major atrocities that occurred i would point out most of them did occur under democrat presidents um which could be coincidence or it could be because that actually was the party that had a lot of these racist values and didn't have the same value for people as maybe some other political parties at the time But if you look back, there's no doubt America wasn't perfect. But the accusations we were accused of is crazy, so much so that now you literally have kindergarten students, white students that are being taught that they are bad and evil because of the color of their skin, which is so contradictory to the very thing MLK fought for, right? His entire speech, I Have a Dream speech, was premised on, I'm so looking forward to the day in America when my daughters can be in a place where they're not judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character, And in America, right now, we are flipping that notion totally around saying the color of your skin is more important than the content of your character. Yeah, it took 60 years and a lot of hard work to get almost to where MLK wanted it. And now that
1: we're almost there, let's trash all that and go back. It's just, oh, it's crazy. It's mind
0: blowing. Well, we'll have to take a break. When we do, I'd like to come back and talk about some of the reasons that we can see good responses. What's the good out of this? Mm -hmm. The bad we get, what's the good? We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Okay, so we've heard the bad that's happening. I mean, they're really literally lying yes. to our kids. And they're doing it to try and destroy our economic system and to destroy future American right. prosperity.
1: Really? Well, whenever you have something bad, the Bible says you overcome the evil with the good. Okay, it's, what's the good? So if there's something, the, the good is the truth. Because if yeah. you know the truth, you don't buy the lies. And the problem is, so many Americans have not been educated to the truth, they don't know the truth. If you know the truth, it is so easy to just absolutely dismantle 169 Project of Marxism. Well, well This is time, let's yeah, tell the truth. And, and
2: let's also point out that the important thing isn't that, that we're saying we wanna counter the bad by just saying all the good things America right. did because we, we wanna say let's be truthful, let's be honest. Right. But this is where you overcome lies with the truth. And the truth is, America's not perfect, but America has been one of the most special nations, and America's done a better job of the good overcoming the evil than any other nation in the history of the world. And actually, if you go back, this is, this is a copy of Jefferson's original handwritten draft of the Declaration of Independence. Wow. So this is page one and two. That's page three and four. What's So first of all, Jefferson dies 1826. When he dies in 1828, there was a volume of his writings that came out. And there was an original draft that Jefferson, in his own hand, had done of the Declaration. And it's super fun because on the side. You, you can see that there's edits made along the way where something is struck out. Over on the side, this says Dr. Franklin. This says Mr. Adams. So it act, it's like a Google Word document. It shows... Right, like who did the actual edits along the way, which is just awesome. unbelievable.
1: So, and, and they worked on this for a month before it went to Congress and they approved the Declaration on the Fourth. So,
2: this is a, a month of work that Jefferson put in before. So, this is this is a committee of five that comes together, but Jefferson drafts this. And what's super interesting is in this third and fourth page, the longest grievance Jefferson has right here. Right, of this all is the, the love
0: letter, the dear dear <laughs> the King John letter. letter, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. Th- this is the greatest breakup letter that was ever written. We said it's not us, it's all you. We gave all these reasons why, but in this super long grievance, the longest grievance in here is a grievance against slavery where Jefferson says that you have brought people from a foreign nation in this land against their will and against our will. We've actually tried to pass laws to end this and you've struck down all those laws. What's super interesting is right here he says MEN, and actually it starts off, he says, determined to keep open a market where MEN, and MEN is all caps, capital M-E-N, and a market where men should be bought and sold. The men he's talking about are the African slaves. And you can read the whole grievance. I encourage so all men are created equal. Right. Has got to include the slaves. And and this is where in boldness he included it because he made sure we completely understood who the men were. And it's so interesting as, as, as we hear so much of the narrative today going back to the founding fathers or the founding of America, people hear that America was so racist and, and all the bad things America did. And I would just point out, our history has become so bad, we know so little about our past that we actually buy into some of these thoughts that America is super racist because we're actually not. If you go, John Adams says the American Revolution began, did not with the shot at Lexington Green, the shot around the world. He said that's not where it began. It didn't begin at Bunker Hill. He said it actually began with the first bloodshed on King Street. King Street was the Boston Massacre. Well, if people remember at the Boston Massacre, the first person killed at the Boston Massacre was actually a black patriot crispus attics. Now, this is interesting. John Adams says the American Revolution began with the death of a black patriot. A free black patriot, not a slave black, and black patriot. And if you go to the end of the revolution, the last major battle of the American Revolution was the Battle of Yorktown. It's where George Washington captured Cornwallis at That's Yorktown. That's a perfect
0: painting. It shows that oh, right yeah. there. It's graphic.
2: It, it this, is, this is when the revolution right. turns. We now, we win the revolution. Yeah. It's interesting. How did Washington know that Cornwallis was going to be at Yorktown. Well, because there was a black patriot who was a spy in the camp who actually got word to Lafayette, who got word to Washington. There's actually a letter from Lafayette where Lafayette says to Washington, remember I told you I had a spy in in Cornwallis' camp, the best spy I have, and he's so good. He just got me word Cornwallis is going. This might be the very moment we've waited for. We actually now can go and capture Cornwallis The intelligence came from this black spy, James Armistead, who actually uh, took the name Lafayette at the end of the revolution. Like, he was adopted by Lafayette. Super cool. But James Armistead Lafayette is the guy who got the intelligence to capture Cornwallis. The American Revolution began with the death of a black patriot. The American Revolution was ended because the intelligent spy work of a black patriot literally... You can't tell the story of the revolution without including these heroes. This is
1: true black history. True black history. Let me show you something else with that because this book right here, this is a book that came out in 18, 1851 by a guy named William Nell. William Nell is the first black man to serve in the federal government. He's a historian, and this is nothing but the history of the black heroes of the American Revolution. More than a hundred heroes, not just soldiers, heroes mentioned by name. It's interesting, throughout the American Revolution, every battle of the Revolution, you had integrated forces, black and white. And on average, it's was all volunteer force. You had to enlist and volunteer, and at the term enlistment, you're out. The average black person in the American Revolution served nine times longer than the average white person in the American Revolution. You have the hero of, of, of Yorktown um, being James Armistead, but the hero of Bunker Hill was Peter Salem and Salem Poor. And the hero, of one, one of the great patriots over at Battle of Lexington Concord was Prince Estabrook. And I just go through all these other
2: black names. Every We don't know them today. Yet. And the reason we don't well, Yeah, there literally are other other pamphlets. This was from the following year uh, when William Nell decided, let's make an abridged version for everybody to see. And this was in the middle of the argument in the midst of the abolition movement where people were saying, right, that blacks weren't fully human. And and so you had abolitionists pointing out, guys, the reason we got our freedom in the revolution was because we had so many these incredible black patriots working with us. And they mm-hmm. were able to point to the actual military records documentation showing, yes, these in fact were the patriots, where so much of that changed. Well, why, why didn't that come out in the Declaration though? I don't read that in the Declaration, what you just showed. What Kay. happened there? so really good point. So when Jefferson presents his declaration to the Congress, there are 13 colonies. And one of the things, it's interesting, in the very first page of the Declaration, where it starts off and it says, a declaration of the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled. The final draft says a unanimous declaration of the 13 United States. So when this went before Congress... Was it like 50-50 on the... Well, Congress had to vote and approve on every single one of the issues. When it came to this anti-slavery issue, there were two states that opposed having an anti-slavery grievance in there. Not half. Just two states opposed that grievance. 11 of the 13 states actually supported the anti-slavery agreements. It was only South Carolina and Georgia at the time who said, we haven't tried to end slavery, that's not a grievance with us. But 11 of the 13 colonies said, we agree, and we think it's okay to end slavery in this nation. The vast majority of early America was in favor of ending slavery.
0: So the vast majority of early America, the founders, the vast majority of them were not blatant racists. Correct.
1: mm mm-hmm. not, not even close. The change occurred right here. 1902, Woodrow Wilson has a five-volume set, The History of the American People. In that, he is a great academic. He's a professor at three universities. This comes out, uh, progressives say, this is the best set ever of history. It's interesting that in that five-volume set, he does not mention a single black person in American history, not, not one, not any of the Patriots of the Revolution, not the ones that Washington praised. He does not even mention Frederick Douglass, who has more photographs, more photographs than Abraham
2: Lincoln. It all goes. This or, is a white-only history. Also, Booker T. Washington or George Washington Carver, right. who are at that They're point gone. very significant, noted people. Well, Woodrow Wilson was a very outspoken and wasn't racist. Wasn't he
0: the founder of progressivism here in the yes. United he, States? Yes, he was,
2: and he's
1: also the guy who brought back the Klan, the second revival of the Klan. This book was used uh, to form a, uh, a script for a Klan recruiting film that he showed at the White House. So Called this Birth this, of this white racist guy here is the guy reason responsible, or the guy responsible for
2: why we don't know well, black history today. And the reason he's responsible is because, as a hero of the progressive movement, mm-hmm. when progressives took over education, they said, if we're going to teach history, we should use his books as the basis of history and his books has no black heroes from American history and that's why today most people have never heard these stories or don't realize that the founding fathers were not racist because we don't know these stories.
0: We're gonna have to take another break. When we come back let's talk about what happens when we learn the truth and how it sets us free. talked about the threat and that's the lie, the critical race theory lie that America was founded by evil slaveholders and and absolute racists. Uh, And then we've talked about the truth. And if we get the truth, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you
1: free. Set us free. How, How do we find the beautiful? Well, there is so much back there to go to. Uh, we just got you know a couple pictures, but nobody today would recognize Lemuel Haynes, first black man to receive a degree of higher education in America. Before him, you have Wentworth Cheswell, who was elected to office as black American in 1768. Re-elected for 49 years in a white state, black guy in a white state. We can go back to 1641 when, when Matthias D'Souza was elected as a black man in Maryland. We've had blacks elected all across those years, but you have heroes like him. You have Benjamin Banneker, who laid out Washington D.C., chosen by Thomas Jefferson. to Do so. You have Frederick Douglass. Of course, a great civil rights leader. You have people like Harry Hoosier. Anybody heard of the Hoosier State, Indiana? Yeah, yeah. Well, that can track back to Harry Hoosier, a, a black evangelist. Uh, you have Henry Holland Garnett, civil rights leader. He's the guy who. First black to speak in Congress and he did so when they abolished slavery. Uh, you have people like Absalom Jones who helped found the first black denomination. He was the first uh, black man that, to receive a, a certification through a major denomination. You have Phyllis Wheatley, the great black poetess. You have Robert Smalls who was a major general in the militia as well as a hero of 17 battles in the Civil War. He was an early congressman. Uh, you have Joseph Hayne Rainey, the first black man to preside over the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, you have John Morant, the first black American successfully to evangelized Native Americans, including your Cherokee uh, heirs. I I mean, there's just so, we go through and we say, I've never heard those names today. Don't know them. Exactly. That's why they can get away with what they do with the Marxist philosophy that we've been oppressed and oppressors. Yeah, there's been some bad stuff happened, but there's been a lot of good stuff we know nothing about. Well,
2: and, and some of the beautiful, too, as we look at it, it's, it's interesting going back to the Founding Fathers. That today we hear the accusation that so many of them were racist slaveholders. And I would point out one of the things that, that first of all, is very redeeming on some level as a Christian, is as we look at scripture, one of the things that should be a formation for us in thinking about history at all is one of the things that the apostle Paul told us is that there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we know nobody's perfect. But the reason that matters is because so often we look back with this lens of what should be perfection. And if we see somebody who wasn't perfect, we go, oh, that person, Cancelled they weren't perfect and it's such a foolish measurement But one of the really cool things of redemption you can see is as you study the life of the founding fathers There's guys like John Jay that John Jay was a slaveholder from New York But in the middle of the revolution and by the way He's the guy who
1: did the Federalist Papers the original justice in your Supreme Court not a lightweight He's, he's a big founding. Father. Yeah significant
2: founding father. He's a big deal But he was a slaveholder in New York and in the middle of the revolution He begins writing letters where he's telling people, you know, I I feel like I'm a hypocrite as I'm fighting for my freedom and I'm enslaving people and and I just feel like this isn't right. And, and you begin to see his inner tor- turmoil happening. As Holy Spirit moving on his heart. As his revelations occurring to him, like something's wrong about this. And in fact, obviously it was wrong. And he also noted that
1: there's a whole lot of us starting to feel this way. Uh, for the first time, is we're all fighting for our freedom. We're going, w- what's with this? And, and even one of the signers of the Declaration, a great example is uh, Whipple, uh, 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 William Whipple from Rhode Island when George Washington made him in general said, I want you to come. He took his slave. Prince Whipple said, come with me. And he told Prince, he said, I hope you will really fight hard for, for America's freedom. And Prince said, I could fight a lot harder for America's freedom if I myself was free.
2: And William said, you're right, and freed him right on the spot. Hadn't even
1: crossed his mind until that time. Well, and,
2: and John Jay's an interesting example as you read his letters, that as, as you're saying, like, they, these, they had revelations along the way in a, in a world. In the 1700s, the world is embracing this notion of slavery, and the Founding Fathers are having this new revelation that is different than almost anywhere That's else right. in the world. Right. And John Jay says, you know what, we, we need to end slavery. So John Jay not only frees his slaves, he founds an anti-slavery society in New York, Benjamin Franklin, who owned slaves, he actually, as, as they're getting toward the revolution, realizes this isn't right. He frees his slaves. He became the president of the Pennsylvania Abolition Society, Benjamin Rush. We can literally go through, just list dozens of founding fathers that were people who were actual slave owners that had this revelation. So free markets, liberty,
0: that lends to an anti-slavery. Here's something interesting. I had Alan West was our first guest in the economic war room, and he compared uh, socialism to economic slavery. Yeah. He says, what else is it when your output, your work, and what you're doing is taken by somebody else, regardless of where they give it or where it's placed?
1: It's slavery. This is a guy who wrote in 1857, he was the great apologist for the Confederacy. And he pointed out the slavery confederacy is the perfect example of socialism. He was pro-socialist. He quotes Marx, he quotes all of them. He says, this is what we have with slavery. This is the perfect example of what socialism looks like. And you don't give to each according to their wants, you give just their needs. And and he just, it's amazing. I mean, there's there's
2: an actual line in the book where he says, hence the work of the socialist contains the true defense of slavery. That's it. The work of the, yeah. Socialism, slavery, always gone hand in hand. When you apply socialism, you get slavery. That's literally what he's arguing as a pro-slavery guy. And yet they're
0: trying to use socialism right now as the antidote to our
1: slave past and everything else. And you're telling me it's exactly the opposite. It it is always, socialism has always resulted in slavery. And that is the Confederate South apologist saying, this is why we love socialism. We love slavery. It's it's what we have. And they had an elite class telling everybody else what to do.
2: That's what socialists always do. But liberty comes from? From God, from Christ. And find freedom as an an individual. So it's one of the things too interesting about this notion of socialism is in Marxism, socialism is always about the group. Mm -hmm. In Christ, it's always about the individual, right? Where God looks at us as an individual and we are individually responsible and accountable of God for how we live our life, for our character, our behavior, our actions, our decisions. And we live in a culture that is promoting the idea that what's the most important is what group you are a part of. I'd point out our value. First of all, you can go back to Genesis where we were made in God's image. Our value comes because we are sons and daughters of God made in His image. And when God made Adam and Eve, I think it's interesting that He never said what shape, size, or color Adam and Eve were. Because value is not determined by shape, size, or color, even though we live in a world today that pretends like those are the most important things. That is a Marxist false ideology, that, that socialist ideology. That's not what God teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. God looks at an individual level and, each individual is accountable for themselves, what they can do, even what they can produce, where the master said to the servant, right? What have you done with what I gave you? Right. And and this is the whole idea of the free market, of okay. capitalism. It's individual responsibility, which is the way of God's kingdom. The really, the, the only groups you see with God, he breaks
1: it into those that know him and those that don't know him. And he doesn't make any distinction on what your ethnicity is, what your geography is, whether you're male or female, know him or don't know him. And that's the only distinction he makes. And for us to be his children, it'd be really helpful to have in us the mind that was in him, which we're told in Philippians to do. Think like him. You know, that's the, that's the discerning dividing point. What's interesting is I was talking to Dr. Ben Carson
0: over the weekend at CPAC. And uh, Dr. Carson uh, said, you read in Samuel. And it says, God doesn't look on the outward Mm -hmm. appearance, he looks on the heart. And he says, how is that different from what Dr. Martin Luther King said? Right, Right. Almost identical. And that's a freedom
1: approach. And, And it's actually what a lot of the founders said as well. Uh, This is from 1792. This is called the Equality Ball. This was held by John Hancock in Massachusetts, 1792, celebrating that blacks and whites were equal. Now, whoever heard of the founding fathers have an equality ball, but this is exactly what was going on in the God-conscious parts of the country where they were the most biblically oriented. You had that equality. Oh, I so appreciate
0: you bringing the truth to us. It's amazing. It is something that we have got to pass. President Reagan said that freedom doesn't pass. We have to fight for it, and then we have to learn the lessons, and we have to pass those on to the next generation. That's what we do in the economic war room. And all of this is an economic issue. All of it, economics. I mean, slavery is absolutely economics. Liberty, socialism, they're all economics. You can learn more about David and Tim Barton at wallbuilders.com. And if you're a subscriber to our free weekly economic battle plans, we're gonna put some of this information in the battle plan for this show. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. Thank you, David and Tim, for coming. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.